calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Sidewalk Audio and PatioBooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak A podcast novel by John Lenahan Book 2 of the Shadow Magic series Read by the author Chapter 22 Moran I wandered around my chambers. They were pretty small for royal digs, but the bed was soft and there was an ensuite bathroom. I walked out onto the balcony and let the cold air pink up my cheeks as I looked at the pond that a few hours earlier had been the queen's swimming pool. I hope you do not mind this small room, Queen Rannan said, startling me. This room was a favorite of your grandfather's. I thought you might like it, too. I do, I said, bowing my head. Thank you. Rhiannon leaned against the banister next to me and looked out over her pond. I once asked Liam why he liked this room better than the regal rooms, and he said it was because he had a better chance to see me naked. The queen smiled. He was very cheeky, your grandfather. You have the same twinkle in your eyes. That's very nice to hear, your highness. The clatter of teacups made us go back inside. A mousy servant that recently may have actually been a mouse was twitchingly setting up tea, flatbread, and dried fruits. When she spilt the queen's tea, Rhiannon placed her hand on the servant's hand and said with a reassuring smile that she could go. My tea was served by a queen. Thank you again for the hazelnuts, Connor, but since you did not know of our plight before you arrived, I wonder, is there another reason for your visit? Yes. Oisin is dying. The queen tilted her head like a confused puppy and said, Dying? That's when I realized that the concept of a slow death was quite alien to some of the people in the land. People here either die fast, in battle or by falling out of a poplar tree, or they commit seafaring suicide by sailing out to sea in a boat. But since there was no sickness, a lingering illness followed by death just didn't happen. So I told her the long tale about how 
Dad reattached his hand in the Chamber of Ruins, and how that seems to be killing him, and how Mom and Fawn encased him in shadow magic. Rhiannon took it all in, wild-eyed. For hundreds of years there is nothing new in the land. I'm lost for a couple of months, and all has changed. But I cannot imagine how I can help. I was hoping you could tell me where I could get some Tautine blood. I don't think I could have shocked her more if I'd slapped her in the face. Who told you of Tautine? I explained about the manuscript that contained the story of the Grey Ones and their search for the blood of Tautine and about our strange encounter with a mountaintop oracle. Finally, I told her of the knife and the message that told me that the changelings would have the answers. Rhiannon just sat there with her hand over her mouth, and shook her head for a time before she finally said, You certainly do not bring dull stories, Prince Connor. So, Deirdre has developed a way to bring back lost manuscripts? Yes, ma'am. She is a very clever witch, that mother of yours. Rhiannon thought again for a time and said, The answers to the questions you ask are, not easily given. There were members of the council today who wanted you and your party dead for what you have deduced already. We pukas often think like animals. Animals live so much in fear that they hide their injuries. They think that if another animal sees their vulnerabilities that they will use it against them. But sometimes we think like animals too much. We forget that there are creatures that might want to help. If not for you, Connor, and the fairies, we all would be lost. Your grandfather was the only non-Puka to know of our dependence on the fruit of the hazel. If more had known, then maybe the tree of knowledge would have been better defended. Dahi is building a regiment to protect it now. Dahi lives? That is good news. I think it is time we ended our isolation. Do you think Dahi would accept some puka recruits? I know he would. Good. Now, to answer your question, Connor, I shall tell you things that even many of my own people do not know. But in the light of recent events, maybe more should learn of our history. She dropped her head and took a deep breath to collect her thoughts. The Pukas were the first new race. We believe that only the fairies, leprechauns, and brownies are older. In the beginning, we were not changelings, but we had an affinity with animals. We tended herds for the House of Dor and learned magic from Eru. Using gold, we learned how to speak to animals. I've seen my mother do that by placing gold in her mouth? Yes. I authorized my niece to teach her that. As I said, she is a very clever witch, your mother. But we pukas did not stop there. Soon we were using magic to completely empathize with animals. Cults began. The most prominent were Marhak and Fia. Horse and deer? 
I said, remembering my father teaching me the names of animals in ancient Gaelic when I was a kid. Yes, the cults submerged themselves completely in their chosen animals to the point where the first changes began. The Morak became half-horse themselves, and the Fia became half-deer, half-puka. Centaurs and fawns, I said aloud. Yes, Rhiannon said, as if being roused out of a daydream. I have heard those words used by pukas that came back from a real-world sojourn. But the half-change was dangerous. Morak and Fia began to lose themselves. They became horses and deer, and no one could bring them back. A council was formed, and the cults were banned, but they continued in secret. One of our kind was named Moran. He was reported to be the wisest of all of the puka. He studied every creature that was known on the land and in the air, and then he left for the sea. There he studied fish and found the aquatic mind so different from our own that he could safely change into a half-fish and not lose his puka identity. Wait a minute, I said. Are you talking about mermaids? Mertain is what we call them, the queen said, but mermaid is the real-world name. At about the same time, another of my ancestors traveled to the Hazel Lands. Before the Hall of Knowledge existed, wise men and women would gather at the great hazel tree and share ideas. My ancestor tried a hazelnut, and it instilled him with such self-knowledge that he attempted a complete change into an animal and was able to return to his puka self. He arrived back to the Pinelands at almost the same time Moran did. Both of them grew supporters each professing the virtues of their discoveries. Soon, most were following my ancestor, changing into all manner of beasts using hazel. Moran warned that dependence on hazelnuts was dangerous, but he was unheeded. I have not thought of him in a very long time, but I must now admit that he may have been right. What happened to Moran? Finally, he and his followers left to live permanently in the sea. The pukas of the Pinelands heard nothing of them for centuries. Then a half-woman, half-fish, washed up on the shore injured, and a banshee brought her to us. She told us that the Mertain live in an archipelago off the Fern Peninsula. She named two of the islands. One was Fodlin, and the other was Tautine. Tautine Island? Yes. What happened to her? I asked. She was escorted to Fern Point, and she swam home. We have not heard from the Mertain since. Do you have a guide that can get me there? The Fern Peninsula is in the Brownie Lands. Our people have had no contact with the brownies in a long time, but I may be able to help you, though not for several days. I would like to get my kindred unlost before I lose them again. Of course, I said. Thank you, Your Highness. She placed her hand on my cheek. 
It is so good to see Liam's seed in this room. Sleep well, son of Hazel. Before she left, she stopped and turned to me. There is one more thing you should know, Connor. The Mertain that washed up on the shore? Yes. She was old. I spent that night dreaming about a mermaid. I don't know if my dreams were a premonition or just the result of talking about mermaids all day, but I can tell you one thing. The mermaid I dreamt about? She wasn't old. I woke in the morning to the sound of splashing. I had one of those surreal moments where I couldn't figure out whether the sound was coming from my dream or from the waking world. I sat up in bed and listened. Just because my grandfather was a peeping Tom didn't mean I was going to cop a look at the queen. I dressed and walked downstairs. I found Essa speaking to a wet-haired, robed queen at the entrance to the council room. They stopped when they saw me. The queen and I swapped morning pleasantries, and she left. Is everyone all right? I asked. We're fine, Essa said. Brendan has been complaining about not having any meat in a while. He asked Apuka if he could change into something he called a New York porterhouse so he could eat him. I'm not sure if the poor Puka was scared or just confused. Then she smiled, and I realized just how much I had missed that smile. The queen seems to like you, she said. Oh, yeah? What did she say about me? She told me that I was with the wrong man. Well, I have to agree with her there. I don't see how you could ignore such good advice from a queen and a prince. Come to think of it, I'm sure I could get a king to join the focus group. Turlo is a king, she replied smugly. And here's me thinking he was just a turdlo. Essa's face got those lines in it that meant our pleasant conversation was coming to an end. She turned to leave. I reached for her arm and then thought better of it. Essa, I called after her and she stopped. Seriously, even if we... Never get together again. I still agree with the queen. He's not the right man for you. She gave me that exasperated look, which was safer than her I'm-about-to-hit-you look. And why is that? Well, when you're around him, you... You just don't seem to be you. This looked like it threw her for a second, but then she bounced back. Maybe this is the real me, and you're the one that brings out my worst. I shook my head. I don't think so. For a second, I thought she was going to say something else, but then she looked at her shoes and left. You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.ie. 
www.cooperative.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, book one of this series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats.